Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. We're continuing our CIO radio series where we speak with technology leaders about the trends and challenges reshaping our increasingly digital space. On today's episode, we speak with Ian Wilhelm, Assistant Managing Director of the Chronicle of Higher Education. Speaking live at Educause, Ian and podcast guest host Sharon Schwartzmiller discuss the looming challenges in store for higher education and how to stay innovative successfully in a volatile environment. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the Illumination podcast. This is our CIO radio series. I'm here with Ian Wilhelm. He's our assistant managing editor of Chronicle Intelligence for the Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, So welcome, Ian. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for being here. So... We are recording here live at Educause, which you may hear a little bit of background noise, sure. right? For There's everybody a buzz. else who's out There's there. A buzz. There's definitely a buzz. So how's how has the conference been for you so far? Been good. I mean it's good to get back and seeing people in person. It's good to have those conversations in which we can uh, touch base on some of these big topics in, in higher ed that are facing the CIOs. Um, for us, we certainly had a lot of virtual meetings, I'm sure like you have and the rest of the world has had. But it's nice to see us getting back to something closer to normal. Um, I'm not going to knock on wood to make a noise, but uh, <laughs> uh, I will say that it's, uh, you know, we'll see how things go, but it's been good to kind of get back and touch base with folks. That's good. That's good. Now, were you able to attend any of the sessions this morning at all? I attended zero sessions practically because I basically had meetings, though I did have some Chronicle colleagues who were presenting today. All right. So tell me, actually, this is really interesting. So can you explain a little bit to me about the work you do with Chronicle Intelligence? Yeah, no, I appreciate that clarification. Uh, Chronicle Intelligence is a unit within the Chronicle of Higher Education. Uh, that was created a number of years ago to look differently at how we cover uh, the space of higher education. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, the Chronicle's been around for over 50 years. We're a news organization. We're uh, journalistically focused. But we wanted to have a team that is not driven necessarily by the daily news or trying to cover the daily news or the weekly news or what have you, but look more deeply at the trends and the challenges uh, that are facing higher education um, and really do a better job of talking about how can we help them in their jobs? How can we help them in their careers? And do that in different forms as well. Um, so we heard from our audience that, hey, this would be something helpful for them to be a little bit solutions-oriented, for lack of a better phrase. And so that's part of what I work on. Um, it's sort of an extension of what I did out of the newsroom. So I am still an editor within the newsroom. Um, and But uh, in many ways, I still focus on some different things, longer-term trends, arguably, and producing different types of uh, reports, uh, actually producing uh, virtual forums and other types of in-person mm-hmm. events as well. Excellent. So are there any themes that are emerging for you more consistently now? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly now we're in the space where the pandemic was, to borrow a cliche, was an accelerant to many challenges. Certainly here, we talk about a lot about the digital uh, uh, transformations that people have talked about for years, and now it sort of was somewhat accelerated by the pandemic. I think the challenges I'm hearing a lot about is, okay, there's a bit of snapping back to normal. Uh, colleges want to go back, understandably. Uh, I don't want to speak with too uh, broad a brush for it, that it affects everyone. Um, but there is an emphasis here on going back to what they know, I think, in many ways. And so how do you kind of, as a leader, how do you kind of keep on moving forward your institution? Um, because the pandemic was one challenge, uh, and hopefully we're, we're past the major disruptions it caused. But there are other challenges looming pretty you know, close on the horizon. And like the Democratic cliff, certainly the enrollment challenges we're already seeing. Um, and so the big other challenges. But And so how you kind of get back to trying to be innovative on your campus? How do you kind of transform? How do you try to set strategy in a time when things are so volatile? Um, On top of that, when you have your students who are are really are facing a mental health crisis, you're facing, you've got your faculty who feel really burnt out. I heard from a CIO yesterday of Bowdoin College, uh, Michael Cato, who just said, 
used to borrow a phrase from his president. He said, everyone feels extra, crips, extra crispy. And, you know, and I think we all kind of feel that in a way. And it's not going away. We're hoping that it was going to go away, but things are still volatile. Um, look at the economy. We don't know where that's headed. And that's certainly going to affect things in, high, in, in high, higher education. So I think for me, it's as, a, as I think a lot of the leaders are thinking about, hey, how do we keep on moving ahead while acknowledging we face some real deep challenges when it comes to change management? Yeah, and I think we're, we feel it whether we're in higher ed or we're in higher ed tech. We feel all of that. Um, I think it's, it may be hard to even ask this question and pull out the pandemic. But since you've been doing work with the Chronicle since 2010, I believe, what are some of the most dramatic shifts that you've seen? If you can extract out the pandemic, it's hard to do that, but. No, I also appreciate the question in, in a couple of different ways. One, I appreciate trying not to focus too much on the pandemic because I think we need to get past the, the pandemic talk and focusing it on it only. And then two, I appreciate the question because it gave me an opportunity to kind of reflect both on how long I've been an observer of higher ed, uh, and it's been uh, you know a decade here, um, and to kind of take a step back and say, what would I call out? And it's hard to get away from the loss of public trust and what is the perceived public value in higher ed. It's a big, complicated story. It has many facets to it. It has, certainly has a political facet to it. Uh, we have a governor who decides that higher education is a target, and it's one that he can get elected on it practically. We have a congressman who's running in Ohio who says academics are the enemy. Um, some of these are resurgent of previous ideas. Um, but just to focus on the political attacks, I think, undermines uh, or would underplay the other part of it, which is really this concern from students and families that is the value of higher education still there. Certainly there's a big question about affordability. Certainly there's a big question about the, the student loans and obviously the Biden administration is having, has made a big statement about that in terms of trying to alleviate that challenge and it's being challenged in court. But I think the undermining concern is, do people think of higher ed as being worth it anymore? The empirical data says, yes, it is. It's worth having an associate's degree. It's worth having a bachelor's degree. When you look at earnings solely, and, and I mean this not to be crass in the sense of only looking at earnings, but that's one of the empirical ways you can do it. Um, but on the other hand, so then why is the perception out there that continues to drop in the American public that the higher education is not worth it, not, may not be worth the effort? And so I think that's a huge difference, uh, perhaps, in 10 years ago. I, don't, I think some of those, certainly some of those uh, concerns about costs were there, and certainly there were concerns, uh, uh, some of these political attacks were still there as well. But in the, the, the space that we're now in, it, it seems to be much more ratcheted up. And how you fight that, and we hear from college presidents, that's a very hard thing to, to uh, push back on. Um, it's a very hard thing to try and change that conversation, even when, especially when the data is on your side. But you hear again and again, hey, I'm not sure higher education is for me. Um, and there are alternative paths that have been created, uh, and that's a whole other thing that sort of developed alongside this, too, we could talk about. Um, but to me, that was the, the big change, and I don't think it's necessarily a surprising one in the sense of that most people are seeing this and talking about it. I think the solutions for that are, are hard to find, though. Yes, and, and I think I feel like I read a new op-ed every three weeks that gives ideas on how to solve that. Um, but obviously, I think it depends on the institution and what you're going through and, and, and really the student base, which is really, it's an interesting question I want to lead to. So a couple of podcast interviews I've had the pleasure of doing today um, a couple CIOs said they attended this morning's session where Educause puts on some of it uh, or releases some of its research around oh, the... Oh, it's Trends Report. Sure. Trends I, I, report. I did read that, and I, certainly it's a, a valuable piece of information for the Chronicle as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in maybe 
you had a chance to read it, you said? Did anything stick out to you from that? Yeah, certainly it did. Um, and I've actually been borrowing this phrase when I first saw it come out. Uh, Susan Grayjack, who works at Educause, is someone I've worked with before and certainly respect her thinking on this. She had a really nicely framed idea in it um, that it dovetails a little bit with the loss of public trust and, and, and the perceived value, but moving from student success to students' success, that's an apostrophe S there, folks, who are listening on the podcast, but then idea of that personalized approach, and certainly that dovetails very much with what lots of companies in the tech world are thinking about and have been thinking about. I think higher ed is very far away from a personalized, customized approach to solving or to serving students. I still think it has a long way to go in that area, and so as a cynical journalist, I'm a little skeptical but I mentioned that to someone else um, who had both worked in higher education and now works at a tech company. But they said, isn't it amazing that higher education is focused in talking about that way, that we really would like to get to a point where we're not putting students in, say, separate categories. Oh, this person's an adult student. That's a non-traditional category. Let's talk about non-traditional needs for this student. Oh, this is a traditional age student. They're coming from this type of background. They go into this category. Instead of saying, no, this is an individual student who has individual needs, and we need to be able to solve for that, and we certainly our technology needs to be able to solve for that as well, right? Um, because, as everyone knows, they're used to getting one click and getting something quickly uh, from Amazon or wherever. Um, so to me, that was really significant, I guess, and I, I want to give a credit to, to Susan again for that, that nice framing of that, because we're seeing that. And just to pin it back to my previous idea of the loss of public value, I, mean, I think that's part of how you help solve for that on an individual basis. Again, I think that's a larger issue and a different issue in some sense, but the idea of making, hey, to a, to a student, hey, we do have a place for you, and it's individualized to you, and we're going to articulate the path that you want to see through your education to a career um, in a very clear way and not put those hurdles in your way. We're going to try and clear out as many hurdles as possible. Yes, which I heard loud and clear from that report as well, which is reduce the friction. And, and some of this personalization can help to add to that. And you're right, the perceived value to the individual will, in theory, should eventually increase value amongst the masses, right? Right. Um, all right, well, good. So all of this is intertwined, but we've all seen the following enrollment numbers across the post-secondary space over the past few years, and we didn't necessarily see the recovery that we may have hoped for um, with these fall 2022 numbers. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's a really tough question to answer. Um, I do think, obviously, it, it touches back to what we, uh, we just talked about when it comes to the loss of public, uh, perceived loss of public value in, in higher education. I do think we heard the other week, and, and I should, uh, again, give some sourcing as a journalist to uh, a former colleague, Jeff Salingo, who writes a lot about this, but he pointed out in a piece for the Chronicle that institutions now not only need to need see, uh, sort of sell themselves to the student, they need to sell higher education to the student. And again, maybe let's talk about those alternative providers and there, those alternative paths that are now out there. Um, you do see an increase in the number of employers who say we're going to waive what was previously, previously a requirement for a job, that is a bachelor's degree or maybe an associate's degree. We're going to waive that. Um, I don't want to oversell that because still the, the majority of employers are still going to be used asking for the bachelor's or asking for some sort of type of degree or credential. But I think that's significant in the sense that higher education does not necessarily seem the, the only path. Of course, it never was the only path. There are other paths. But now it seems like those paths have really uh, multiplied. Yes. Uh, and so that's another place. And certainly, again, this, the, the job market is such a, uh, uh, has been hot. People have been looking for uh, jobs, and, and they've been able to find those jobs. So I, the thing I am looking forward to the, the year ahead, um, 
we may be facing a recession in this country. And typically, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but during a recession, enrollment goes up. Yep. Uh, as people sort of say, okay, I'm going to hold off on my career That's path. Right. I'm going to look for other ways to scale up because I'm not finding the jobs I want. Um, people had predicted that, frankly, when the pandemic first hit, That's and right. it didn't happen. Nope. Uh, community colleges, where that usually has that bump, uh, they did not see that. They saw a drop. Um, they are recovering slightly uh, from that, but or at least it's not as bad as it was. Um, but that's that's one question that I'm, I will certainly be watching the Chronicle to see it has any effect. But again, the larger term trend though is certainly fewer traditional age students as we face what has been called the the demographic cliff. That is, there I mean just fewer number of high school graduates that's in this right. country because the birth rate decreased. It's decreased. That's right. Um, all right, interesting. And I think again, and I keep laughing because it all you're almost easily making it flow to the next question, right? Which is... I do my best. I know it's like to be on the other side of the microphone. It's like, so So you just talked about some of those, the directions that we're headed. What other key trends are you and your team at Chronicle Intelligence kind of watching? Yeah, you mentioned, uh, well, we talked a little bit earlier about the student mental health challenges, and it's pretty acute. And it's not going away. If you look at some of the data that's come out from the CDC about concerns about high school students, uh, partially this was driven by the pandemic, some isolation they may have felt, but um, those numbers about uh, folks uh, saying they experience um, anxiety or depression, um, you know, that's going to probably increase. And you, so you see colleges, and you see this reflected in some surveys of college presidents where they say this is our top concern. Um, and how do you kind of make sure you're looking at the spectrum of what those students need? They're the very acute needs of someone who, say, is considering suicide. That's a very, very big, cha- uh, challenging, very different moment than, say, the student who's saying, I'm, a, I'm anxious about my grades. But all that spectrum, you have to be able to solve for that. Um, and they don't necessarily have the capacity for it. And so they're obviously, you know, we're at a tech conference. There are some tech companies that are doing more about that, uh, doing some better integration with some areas to make sure that they, know they can provide, say, virtual telehealth uh, um, as one aspect of that. But we certainly see this affecting the faculty as well. As faculty, we're really on the front lines in the pandemic providing some sort of support for their students. And we hear that again and again, that faculty say, hey, we're not necessarily trained for this. Certainly there have been some trainings on campuses, um, but they themselves feel like, hey, we're feeling stressed out and we're trying to help our stressed students. That's what I was going to say. I know they've, the faculty themselves have felt some of that very that burden and some of that anxiety themselves because of what they're trying to do to help that student body. Yeah, and, and just getting them what is, the, what is the role they should play. They want Many of them want to play a, a role in helping that student, at least if not uh, direct help, pointing them in the right direction. Uh, you know, we've heard small ideas like just putting on your syllabus, here's how you get in contact with the mental health resources that are available on the campus. Or if you need help, contact a peer, because many students would prefer to talk to a peer than, say, a faculty member or a, a person on staff. So, you know, there, there are lots of small things that can maybe add up to a bigger thing where we can take on what is, you know, people have described as a crisis, and I think that's fair. That's fair. So that's, that is, that's one of the things that's on kind that's of the radar the, for One of the big all. issues on our mind, I think certainly some of the things we talked about, how the student success continue to be, and that's adjacent to that, perhaps. Um, certainly the, the things that we hear at the conference as well about the I'm not in love with this term of digital transformation, but everyone uses it. Right. Uh, but <laughs> how do we talk about that? How do we talk about other vague terms like innovation? But I think a really, really important, really, really, really important uh, conversation to have and how you kind of continue to have those conversations. Because, again, the, the, um, the pandemic, and this is, again, well known, has proven that higher education can change and can change very quickly. 
uh, that's in, when it had a very acute emergency to deal with. Can it change when those the emergency is still very real, but perhaps feels less urgent uh, because it's not such one that we're writing, you know, hearing about every day, perhaps. Um, so I think that's part of the, the challenge and how they set that strategy to do that. Uh, it's something that we'll be keeping an eye on um, as well. It's interesting. It's interesting to watch the institutions manage the change back and forth because I don't think they've had to do change management the way they have over the past two and a half years to quite the degree. No, right? I don't think so at all. They've had to be very all. quick, but they, but they handled it. They did, well. yeah, and, and, I don't, and it's, um, it's easy, and I, again, I, I put on my cynical journalist hat, and that's kind of the, uh, sort of a cliche as well, but um, I do want to say, hey, let's also take a pause and say, wow, what, what an amazing job for the most part that they did. There were lots of things I think they fell down on, but on the other hand, I think for the most part, I don't think anyone could have predicted the, the, the pivot to online, the, the way they, they provided support, how they found out, hey, there were some real big technology gaps that their students faced. They didn't have the laptops or the Wi-Fi. Let's put a Wi-Fi in the parking lot. Let's put some Wi-Fi in a bus and drive it around. I mean, some amazing kind of uh, innovative ideas. And I think that type of innovative thinking is going to be required uh, going forward to solve some of those bigger long-term structural challenges as well. And I also want to mention uh, the, another area that came up at the conference is the, the hiring challenges. And that's a huge one in IT. And we did a survey and it showed that IT was the biggest area. And I think that's not surprising in part because um, uh, IT uh, workers have a lot of options. It's not just a higher ed job. Obviously it's a job for every corporation in the world, every government. Um, and so they have options and they have a, if they higher education is not willing to offer a hybrid workplace, um, IT workers are happy to go someplace else that does. Um, and that's just one example. But that's an area I'll be curious too, if the job market starts to slow down and people have some uh, employ employees have some left choices. Workers have some less cho uh, fewer choices. Um, does that lead to higher ed that that hiring crunch actually improving for higher ed? Yes, um, I wonder the same. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure because it's the, the economy seems so. I mean, that it's so hard and complicated complicated to predict. But that's one area we'll be looking at too. Yeah, and I heard the same thing about about just the hi the the hiring challenges for IT folks, and that's across the board. Because we talk about it too, but you can definitely see where in, in the higher ed space, given especially like in the community colleges, where let's say across the board, really wherever you're just in a little bit of a different situation with how much you can pay, but there are also other parts of the package of being in higher ed that are outstanding, right? That you can offer, and 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 just seeing how that shift will impact the potential employees out there will be interesting to watch. Well, that's the traditional offer higher education has had is, hey, we're not going to pay as much, but we offer what is a community. We offer you to come to a campus where it's going to be, you're going to be surrounded by uh, a lot of eager students and interesting people, potentially. Um, you're going to come because of the mission. Uh, ultimately, some of that is also offering some good benefits. All the benefits, yep, for sure. But what we're hearing from some folks and managers in higher ed is that that's not competitive anymore, that higher ed has lost its luster a bit, and that mission-driven type of sell for the, the college may not be there, which, again, ties back to the original point. Has there something also been lost in terms of just the perception of higher ed? Um, again, I think that it's easy to lump all of that together. Um, I think there are some things, hey, if you, you know, higher ed can offer a hybrid workplace and, and, some, and better salaries, some of these problems would be would be solved, yeah, be right? Done. Right. So I don't want to uh, I don't want to say that the mission-driven interest in higher ed has gone away anywhere. I think there are lots of people who would want to work in the industry, want to work in the field because of its its mission and because of its ability to uh, serve students and certainly um, create uh, knowledge and research for the world. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why most people are here. People no, want to really. yeah, exactly. I mean, we love it. Um, 
And that's a good, that's a good spot to turn, to turn, right? So after every Illumination podcast, we ask the same question of the people that we have the pleasure of interviewing like yourself. And that question is, if someone is going to go to dinner in your hometown, where would you tell them to go? Ha! My hometown is Washington, D.C. Um, I would tell them to go over to uh, um, Adams Morgan, which is my old, yeah, area not too far from where I used to live and where I, I grew up. And there are some amazing Ethiopian restaurants. Uh, they've been there for a long time. Uh, D.C. has become much more of a foodie town uh, than when I was a kid. And, and so there are probably lots of great restaurants like Lo uh, Rose's Luxury uh, that have won some awards. But if you're going to be in town, I say go try some Ethiopian food because it really is. Uh, there's some great places over in um, Amos Morgan and in the adjacent neighborhoods um, that I think that sort of shows a little bit of a different flavor than you might get at some of those other restaurants. So, excellent, um, yeah. excellent. Go over there, it. check it out. You get to eat with your fingers. Uh, my kids <laughs> love it too. Uh, you know, that's always fun too. So, um, go check it out. That's great. Ian, this has been wonderful. Yeah, I really you, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining it. us here. And thank you all for listening to CIO Radio um, through the Illumination Podcast Series. Bye now. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and The Evolution. The Modern Campus engagement platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result? Innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner life cycle that engages modern learners for life while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.